0: Issues. Latino voters overwhelmingly say they prefer Democrats when it comes to abortion okay, rights okay, so this, and protecting democracy.
1: Yeah. So, so this is on abortion. That is that is quite a surprise because the argument had been post Dobbs that uh, that Republicans would gain Hispanics because uh, uh, they're Catholic, religious, for general uh, again. What Democrats have been doing with Hispanics for for decades—overgeneralizing—Republicans yeah. are now doing. So uh, again, two so- over two to one margin. Democrats supporting Democrat, uh, uh, Hispanic supporting Democrats position on abortion.
0: Republicans are favored slightly when it comes to dealing with the economy, border security and crime. Right. That we're seeing here is that obviously Latino support for Dem- for Republicans plummeted there after Bush left office uh, and then stayed down for 2016 for Trump. And it's a phenomenon that has puzzled and worried Democrats about how certainly in 2020 he saw an increase in support from, particularly, as you say, Latino men. Uh, Hispanics, of course, not a monolithic voting group. There are different reasons why certain communities would vote for Trump. And Trump successfully played on fears of socialism uh, that, that resonated with Venezuelans, Cubans, and a few other groups in 2020, <laughs> along with a rise in the support from some black men as well. But it's not an overwhelming number. But, as we mm-hmm. just detailed, Joe... These margins are so close. The House and the Senate are going to be decided by a handful of seats. These elections are going to be decided by very small numbers. Even a slight shift from Latino voters for Republicans is consequential. And that's why, though not an overwhelming number, it's worth spending the time on. It's a trend that both parties are focused on.
1: Thanks so much. uh, uh, As a um, Southern Baptist, grew up Southern Baptist, (laughs) first Baptist in Chambly, Georgia, Meridian, Mississippi. Pensacola Florida. I mean, these were very conservative evangelical churches. I must say that what I was taught when we went to church and training union and Bible study and Wednesday night dinner, you know, four times a week, it was about the Beatitudes. It was about the Good Samaritan. It was about Matthew 25, 31 through 46. Hmm. It was not about what we're hearing today. What's happened To let me just say evangelicals, I won't say the church evangelicals. When I read some of these surveys, that I and I don't even recognize my friends sometimes on some of these issues that I've grown up with.
2: Well, you went to a healthy church, my church pulled out of the Southern (laughs) Baptist Convention, they were too liberal, and we were taught (laughs) racism straight from the pulpit. So I had some major uh, conversion to take place, Uh, but. I think what happened is that the word evangelical went from being a a theological word, a religious word, to a political word. Uh, I don't know if you're old enough to remember, Joe, but Time Magazine did a cover story called The Year of the Evangelical. When was that? It was in 1976 when Jimmy Carter was elected. Democratic president, Democratic agenda. But evangelical was what he was teaching in Sunday school. It's what he believed about God. It's exactly what you said. Jesus' sermon in Matthew 25, uh, caring for justice, caring for the sick, caring for those who are marginalized. You were taught that. I was not, frankly. But uh, that's what evangelical means in many parts of the world. Still, if you ask somebody in in India, for example, what's an evangelical? Well, I don't know, but they do a lot of the health care in our country and they care for people with leprosy. And about half of the of the healthcare in sub-Saharan Africa is run by mission agencies, by evangelicals. And that's what we used to be known for. And then like everything else in America, got got slammed into this political binary, you're either for us or yeah. against us. And it's it's a great tragedy, I think.
3: Okay, it's Monday at 3 October in the year of our Lord, 2022. Uh, we're in the war room and we're ready to roll. It's uh, a very big first working day back uh, in the uh, fourth quarter of 2022, a historic year that's about to get a lot more historic because we're about to run the tables on these clowns and all the advice we will be able to comp- compile all the advice morning Mika gave uh, Democrats is about to come crashing down as they get blown out in the House, the Senate gubernatorial races. But remember, they're setting the stage already for not being able to govern a cover of the Washington Post. Democrats embracing dark vision in midterms. The party warns of dystopian future if Republicans take control. It's right there. It's their lead story on the left hand side. What they're trying to do is saying, oh, the Republicans are a threat to democracy, although they're about to get a democracy suppository. All that nonsense you heard about the Hispanic vote at the beginning is off. Polling has been done. Economist. Talking uh, this weekend, one of their big stories about how swing votes are non-college educated Hispanic men and their wives, and that's all um, shifting dramatically, rapidly, and urgently to the MAGA base and to the Republican Party as the key things are about the economy, border security, immigration, inflation, all of it. Also, one of the uh, one of the key races in all this, Spanberger in the seventh, talk about the the difficulty she has hanging on. All they're talking about, they're running on abortion, abortion, abortion. Of course, that is not going to be the primary reason people vote on November 8th and in the run up to November 8th. They're going to vote on saving their country and saving themselves financially, new numbers out. As we told you in the war room over many months, now the implosion in housing prices, now people are actually pulling their houses off the market. They don't want to sell at the lower prices. Interest rates exploding, housing prices plummeting. Lead story overnight. We're gonna start with Matthew Tierman, and we have Darren Beatty on deck. Um, we uh, this is the Bolsonaro uh, election down in Brazil. Absolutely central and uh, very stark warning to MAGA and to uh, to all the Republicans of the games that are being played uh, in these elections. I'm bringing Tierman. By the way, the Hoff brothers. Jim Hoff has an amazing piece up on Gateway Pundit as a lead about the seven things you have to do to make sure this election is not stolen. And we are not going to allow this election to be stolen because we're going to give a death blow at the ballot box to the Democratic Party as a national political institution from school boards all the way up to uh, to the House and the Senate and the governor's races. Let me bring in Tierman. Tierman, walk me through exactly what happened. Bolsonaro was down, I don't know, 15 points. Basically, they said uh, Lula, the the transnational uh, criminal uh, puppet of the Chinese Communist Party, uh, he was in. Uh, he was going to get over 50 percent of the vote. Bolsonaro was at 36. The first results that came out last night blew people away. Bolsonaro up, but as the night went on, brother, and the machines started reporting, it didn't end up that way. Although it's quite interesting on down ballot. The Bolsonaro right wing absolutely swept. Walk us through what happened, Matthew. And what warning is this to the United States of America and MAGA? Well, first,
4: uh, exactly right. I call it suppression polling. I call it creating reflexivities, uh, George Soros, Karl Popper style. You know, create a number, create a, uh, a conception in the popular zeitgeist to create the reality from that perception. We see on the ground what Bolsonaro delivered. Week in, week out, motorcycle rides for years, millions of people on the street, uh, and his popularity in regions that were historically leftist, uh, and that's what the press is running out now. While well, those votes that came in later, they came in for Lula because those are coming in from the poor northeast. Uh, well, you know what, Bolsonaro was doing better and better, and down ballot he was doing better and better. At in the first reporting dump, uh, Bolsonaro was up forty-eight to forty-one. The first eight percent. Now that's a pretty good representative sample. Of course, there is regional and geographic differentials that play out where there are going to be stronger, uh, stronger sequences for certain candidates and parties. But every ballot dump from there on in was more than 50% for Lula, so that there was a, a crossing point when two-thirds, when 66% were reporting. And by the end of the night, it went from uh 4841. To uh to 48-43 the other way, uh Lula da Silva up, uh 48 and uh, Bolsonaro at 43, sending them to a runoff. This is what we've been speaking about, you and I here on this show for the last two, three, four weeks that it was going to come down to the first round, how they were going to to tighten it up to get to a second round. They weren't going to do anything over the top in the first round. Obviously the outperformance by J.B. versus the polls is stark. The magnitude should tell you already that the polling is worthless, that these are constructed numbers by sampling to get to some sort of output. Uh, but to see every single dump until the uh, the wee hours when it was uh, totaled up uh, go one way, people are absolutely crying fraud in Brazil because it's the same thing we saw in 2020. Smartmatic machines born in Venezuela out of the Chavez regime, uh, exported all over the world, worked on the U.S. election. They're everywhere. Fully digital, no paper ballots, non-auditable. Now, in Brazil, the military does have a constitutional right to oversee uh, and investigate fraud. Because uh, you look at the history of Latin America from the '60s and '70s, with all of the all the coups, communist coup, military coup, back and forth. So, in the Brazilian constitution, the military has a right to do a report. Uh, President Bolsonaro, in his comments, was very measured. He said, "Look, we got two million more votes than the first in the first round." This cycle than in 2018 when he was sort of new to the national politics. He'd been in politics, but running for president for the first time, his party was new. But the real interesting smoking gun for me is this down ballot. Uh, 27 out of 81 Senate seats were up, and the Bolsonaro party won 19 of them. That's massive, and they won on the strength of Bolsonaro's cult personality. He drove them over the line. He endorsed them. He built their careers. The votes. These down-ballot candidates were votes for Bolsonaro. Yes, Lula seemed to outperform the candidates regionally that Bolsonaro endorsed, built, and won regionally. The most telling region to me is Minas Gerais. It's uh, the second-largest state with the uh, third or fourth-largest city, Belo Horizonte. And everywhere Bolsonaro swept, except in the top of ticket, there Lula outperformed, which is just very, very uh, disconnected with the reality on the ground when you see... The Bolsonaro popularity on the ground in this big state with this massive city Belo Horizonte—the uh, whole thing smells. The media's already running. Okay, well, uh, Bolsonaro outperformed, but Lula's up, so now they can say no, 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 no. Hang,
3: hang, hang on. I'm gonna get BD in here in a second. The big tell is Morning Mika and, uh, and Joe in the in uh, CNN is not. They're not leading with Lula's victory, right? Lula's Lula's at least a, a phase one ahead of Bolsonaro they are freaked out about it. The, the left oh, yeah. media understands they've been found. But I want to go back to a very important Guardian. point. I want you, to take your, want you to take your time to reiterate. This was Donald Trump winning, picking up those 15 House seats in 2020 with essentially Trump candidates yet losing, right? Or at least, you know, saying that he lost, okay? It's impossible. It's mathematically impossible. Go back to Bolsonaro. These were Not just candidates that wandered in off the playing field. These were literally people that uh, Bolsonaro had made. These were proxies for Bolsonaro. So walk me through, walk back through how he won the down ballot races, right? Yet still in those districts, uh, Lula and every dump you had coming all night, which you did a great job on Twitter and Getter. And by the way, Getter did an amazing job last night. If not for Getter, we would not have real reporting. This is how powerful and important this platform is. Um, that that Lula continued to co- come up and close the gap and then take the lead in areas where bolsonaro 's handpicked proxies were winning sir well
4: that's exactly right. I mean this is, they, they are exactly proxies. The bolsonarista movement has been built on the back and the charisma and the vision and the the statements, "We will never be socialist, we will never be communist. These people were built by Bolsonaro They won overwhelming. I mean, this is overwhelming. 19 out of 27 Senate seats went to essentially politicians that don't really exist if there is no Bolsonaro, and they won handily. Yet, Bolsonaro, who was up, he was up, uh, you know, the first 10%, the second uh, 10%, and it just kept shrinking and shrinking. In one ballot drop, it was 56% for Lula. And these are in regions where, okay, you have, you know, Marxist, leftist, impoverished strongholds historically, but Bolsonaro had been doing better, and his candidates did better, and they won in many of these regions. What's interesting to see is you see footage from the uh, from the polling station. Everybody is wearing yellow and green, Brazil's national colors, the color of the Bolsonaro movement. The Lula people wear red, the international color of Marxism. If you see the addresses they gave in their uh, evening statements to their respective uh, campaign headquarters, nobody was dressed in yellow and green in uh, Marxist Lula headquarters. But you see in the polling stations, everybody is representing the same national patriotism, the Bolsonaro movement. You had people voting in these polling stations. I sent you a video. He was booed. People were booed from Lula's party and the alternative parties when they just went to go vote. Everybody was booing (laughs) them. It was over the
3: top. Hang on one second. We're taking a short commercial break. Also, the reason we had the cold open there, Bolsonaro's movement. Even more than MAGA, and MAGA is one of the driving forces of MAGA, is evangelical Christians and traditional Catholics, the trad Catholics. The uh, Bolsonaro's movement, probably even more so. Evangelical and traditional Catholics driving that. Short commercial break, Darren Beatty from Revolver.News, and of course, Matthew Tierman talking about Brazil. Also the United States of America, next in the world. Because
1: we're taking down the CCP.
3: You know who understands the real threat of inflation? People who invested in gold and silver with Birch Gold Group. They're protecting their savings from a highly turbulent economy by diversifying their 401k or IRA into gold, physical gold. It's not too late for you to take action now. Text Bannon, B-A-N-N-O-N, to 989898 and get a free info kit
1: Pandemic with Stephen K. Bannon.
5: The epidemic is a
6: demon and we cannot let this demon hide.
1: War Room. Pandemic. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon.
3: MyPillow.com promo code WARROOM. You can't get these products in big box stores. Why? Because they gave the hook to Mike Lindell because of his political and yes, his religious beliefs. So you have to go to places like uh, mypillow.com online and get to put the promo code up. You go to our square, you get all the sales, including the classic Pella, $19.88. You also get the towels, sheets, moccasins, slippers, bathrobes, everything. You got buy one, get one's free. You get sales all over the place. Mypillow.com promo code war room. And I'll be traveling with uh, Lindell. We're taking this on the road later in the week and early next week. We'll have more details uh, a little later in the show. I want to go to now Darren Beatty, uh, the founder, publisher and editor of uh, Revolver.news, one of the best sites out there. Darren, uh, you've, you've spent a lot of time focused on particularly Lula and what he stands for, in, for the globalist and the international criminal cartel that tries to control the world. Um, walk us through your assessment of the first round of and particularly the mainstream media. They're pretty quiet this morning. Otherwise, they'd be rubbing it. Morning, Mika would have led with this. They rubbed our nose in it all morning. You're not hearing that, Darren Beatty.
6: Absolutely. Well, uh, first, I'd like to echo and reinforce uh, the excellent analysis provided by our friend, Matt Gierman. And I would like to also add that the stakes are incredibly high in this election. I think maybe some listeners, perhaps not your listeners, who are more educated and informed than most, but I could imagine a lot of um, Americans who are involved in domestic politics might not of fully understand the ramifications and the global stakes involved in the outcome of this Brazilian election. It is really, um, it could be a turning point for global politics depending on who ends up winning. It you couldn't be a more stark competition between a representative of exactly the kind of nationalism that all of us want and support and the most destructive and corrosive um, version of uh, really, socialism is almost too weak of a term, but it really is is communism when you look into the actual roots of what Lula represents, the networks that he belongs to and the history of those networks. And so um, it really is a crucial election and you see a lot of the same dynamics that go on here from. Uh, election shenanigans all the way to big tech censorship. That's something that is sort of underreported in the American press, but Brazil has to deal with the same degree of severe tech censorship that we have in the United States. And in some cases it's even worse.
3: No, this is why, you know, Tierman and Jason Miller were essentially arrested under house arrest right. or arrested when they were in there. The Getter is the platform. If we didn't have Getter, I don't know how information we get out, real information we get right. out. Hang over a second, Darren, because we've got a bunch of other stuff to go through. Uh, Tierman, uh, Darren Beatty's correct, right? The stakes are – this is why we cover this one so intensely. Uh, this is about nationalism. This is about populism. This is about the the globalist, And, and Lula is the epitome of – of their corruption, their greed, their malfeasance. And he is bought and paid for. People have to understand. And this is how bad it gets. They had a, basically a CCP asset write a piece for par- foreign policy last week that said Bolsonaro is really the favorite candidate of Beijing. Nothing could be more of a lie. Uh, Lula is bought and paid for by the CCP. He made his money early on. He sold out Brazil to the CCP, you know, decades ago. This is one that all the chips are on the table on this, Matthew Tierman.
4: 100% correct. Uh, we throw around these 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 terms, socialism, communism, Marxism. You know what? Most of Europe is socialist. Uh, you got conservative socialists on the right. You've got leftist socialists. Lula is well above and beyond. He is an overt Marxist. He was in bed with the Chinese, the CCP. He and Dilma, they sold state assets to, to uh, the Chinese Communist Party for cash and Bags, the famous Operation Car Wash, where they were laundering their ill-gotten gains through a chain of car washes. Uh, they are founded the Sao Paulo Forum, which is a global Marxist conclave where they get together and strategize. Workers of the world unite. You and I talked about it with Sweden. They pivoted a little bit on economic, uh, economic and class warfare because the populace on the right adopted that as well as a legitimate issue. So it became climate change, LGBT, racial and identity politics. And this is the war that he's been waging in Brazil over these issues. Bolsonaro has been very, very good for the lowest rung of the economic ladder in Brazil. Why? His people picked up so much share in these historically poor far left regions. Why his people won 19 out of 27 Senate seats. Now Lula in hand and glove with the global media and Darren Beatty always doing great work on the media complex, working hand in glove to effectuate political outcomes on the far left for CCP, the Marxist uh, elite, uh, the 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 amount of media coordination I've already seen this morning and overnight is disgusting. Globo, the Brazilian CNN, who had their hand on the scales the entire race, every photo of Bolsonaro, they they claim conspiracy theories. He was with the military aide. He's trying to telegraph that he's going to engage a military coup after he loses. I mean, really, our CNN on steroids. Now the Guardian is running pieces. And they're a little bit apoplectic that Lula didn't win in the first round. That would be a bridge too far, as you and I discussed in depth on this show. Uh, And now we've got 28 days. What's interesting is in 2018, it was three weeks, 21 days between the first and the second round. Now we've got 28 days. The second round's October 30th, so four Sundays from yesterday. And you will get a military report on what they discovered in fraud. What I found interesting was last night, I was getting messages from random people on Instagram, on Facebook, you know, in their filtered messages. Random Brazilians. These are not QAnon freaks. I was looking at some of these people's LinkedIn: private equity executives, lawyers, uh, uh, business people, uh, you know, upper middle class people who are watching their country get get destroyed if it goes back to what it, like an Argentinian style Marxist leftism, or seeing what happened in Chile with Boric or Petro. They don't want this. They know the implications. These are educated people. They're not just you know rabid activists who are knee jerk and they're messaging these things they've seen. And there is fraud, there there, there was definitely machine fraud. Uh, There was people who would come up with their IDs and say that they'd already voted. Uh, So some of the same shenanigans, but the majority of this was digital. We will see what happens over the next uh, week, 10 days on a military report on what they discovered across the country. Uh, But this was not clean. This does not feel clean, smell clean. We've got data points, statistics, uh, empirical and analytical galore. And this is what we predicted, what I predicted on your show. First round, they would make it look yep. like Lula came in slightly ahead, and then they try and aggressively take in the second yeah. round, whether the mandate's honest or not.
3: Okay. We're going to cover this every day in the run up. This is uh, couldn't uh Steve, one. More one more, one more point. A yes, sir. One sure. more
4: point. Uh, uh, Darren made a great point about uh, media and big tech censorship. I was talking to you yesterday in real time. Uh, De Marais in the court, there was an article written by a mainstream outlet that's not a righty outlet by any means. Uh, they caught hidden, hidden audio. Of the head of the largest drug trafficking syndicate, like the Cosa Nostra of Brazil, that in Marcola, on tape saying that he wants Lula to win because it's gonna be, you know, great for everybody. And we know we know what that means between the lines. And Moreas made them take it down, uh, because obviously this is indicting of Lula and his support system and network. The dude goes around the country and people scream and jeer, criminal, traitor, corrupt, felon. Why he didn't campaign. So I mean, this whole thing smells to high health.
3: I haven't. Okay. Uh, Matthew, real quickly, your social media, how do people follow you on all this?
4: At Matthew Termond, M-A-T-T-H-E-W-T-Y-R-M-A-N-D, Getter, Twitter. I'm, I'm moving in through both of them at the same time and putting up the same stuff. The uh, I'm, I'm expecting my Twitter to be uh, severely sanctioned as uh, the Court. I, I up agree. There. I, if if you
3: want to if you get to your, mind, if you get to your mind, game on Getter, because I'm sure Twitter is going to uh, uh, pull a lot of this down. Matthew Tiermon, thank you for being on top of this and obviously knowing what was going to happen. It was a great, uh, great coverage. Um, let's, I'm going to go back to Darren Beattie. Darren, uh, the Army, we're going to have some terrible financial news with Cortez come up in a moment about housing and other things. Uh, but the Army also missed by a big margin their recruiting goals into uh, the third quarter or into the fiscal year that ended uh, last week. Uh, sir, you've got an amazing piece up in uh, Revolver. Tell us about this
6: yes i mean this has been in the news for a while now uh recruiting crisis throughout the entire military and the thing is really understand what's behind it we have to confront some really dark and uncomfortable realities of what the military has become and i think there's no more glaringly depressing um and really outrageous example of this than a recent push by a commission uh, led by this general, and I'll get to him in a moment. His general Ty Siduel, who is has the kind of credentials that you can imagine. If people remember Revolver News coverage covered Bishop Garrison, this guy's Bishop Garrison on steroids. He's got you know woke medals like you wouldn't believe. But what they're trying to do is they're trying to take down a precious piece of American art and a military memorial um, at the Arlington uh, uh, Cemetery. And the statue that they're trying to take down, it's the work by Moses Jacob Ezekiel, who's one of America's great sculptors, happens to be a Jewish American, and he served as a cadet at the Virginia Military Institute. He was one of the 200... 47, mostly teenage cadets who Im- immortalized themselves at the Battle of Newmarket, which is a special battle. And what he did was he designed, he created this special monument, which has long been treated as a symbol of reconciliation between the North and the South. And this general, this scumbag general called High Saigul is trying to have it destroyed along with the rest of the monuments. And I think what's crucial for people to understand is this isn't really about the Confederacy. This isn't just some sudden thing that they're only going after Confederate monuments. This recent attack on Confederate monuments is part of a broader attack on American history. The reason they hate these monuments is D- that D- they're- D- Darren,
3: hang on, hang on, hang, hang on. hang. I'm going to hold that point. It's about American history. We're going to come back with Darren Beatty of Revolver. Steve Cortez here with Economy and Capital Markets. All next in the War Room.
1: Pandemic with Stephen K. Bannon.
6: The epidemic is a demon, and we cannot let this demon
2: hide.
3: War Room.
1: Pandemic. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon.
3: Okay, Darren Beatty, you making the case this is not about a bunch of racist Confederate uh, what, insurrectionists. This is about American history. Make your case, sir.
6: Right. Well, the attack on the southern monuments happens concurrently with the attack on American history more generally. You look at the timeline, it's the same timeline, and the motivation is the same. They want to destroy our history so they can control our future. And I think if your audience can stomach it, I want to go through briefly the scumbag who's behind it. He's a scumbag who actually teaches, believe it or not, at – his name is Ty Sidewell. He teaches at West Point, and – I encourage everyone to go to the revolver.news piece and look at the picture of him. You'd notice just from the physiognomy alone that he's bad news. These woke generals tend to have two different archetypes. There's the big, broad-headed, dumb dog like General Miley, that big broad head, and you know it has had it never housed an original thought in his entire life. And you have the conniving obsequious weasel, and that is high side Look at his decoration. He's teaching at West hold, West.
3: hold it. So you have the two models. You have the Miley model and you have the Armilly model and you have the uh, Petraeus model, right? One exactly. Or, you them, one exactly.
6: Or two. It's the big, <laughs> dumb, broad-headed dog and the obsequious, conniving little weasel. And Kai Seidule is of the weasel variety, but his CV is no less of a joke than the dumb dogs. He is a dumb dog when it comes to his CV. If you look at his resume. It's named for the enemy. The U.S. Army's Confederate problem. From slavery to Black Power, racial intolerance at West Point. It goes down the line. It's pathetic. And you know what's even more pathetic is that for some reason this guy actually has a PragerU video. I I have a lot of respect for Dennis Prager. I say this should be this should be revisited. Uh, I don't know why this scumbag should have a PragerU video. Um, but, you know, looking through his woke history and you can just say, why is he trying to tear down these monuments? Is as though he learned only one thing from the Taliban that yeah. humiliated the the United States, and that was how to blow up precious works of art. That's the only thing this scumbag learned from the Taliban is how to okay. destroy but, but, historically but, significant monument.
3: OK, but make, give me 60 seconds on how do you tie this to the, the dramatic drop in, in recruiting, sir?
6: Well, that's a great question. And for all of the dirty details, people need to go to the piece, but I'll just lay some statistics out. Service, as you know, Steve, it runs in families. Military service runs in families. More than 30% of current personnel had a parent who served. And service is especially concentrated in proud and noble Southern families. According to some reports, as much as 44% of enlistees come from The 16 states represent comprising the Old South. Now, what are these people supposed to do? Can we continue to expect them to sign up and enlist and sacrifice and fight for a system that's spitting on their ancestors' brave service, that's spitting directly in their face and they're supposed to sign up and sacrifice for a system that only exhibits contempt, hostility and hatred for them? I think that's really the, that's the dark truth behind this abysmal drop in enlistment rates. And who can blame them? As long as scumbags like this weasel General Ty are teaching at West Point, you can only expect this trend to continue and to accelerate. We need to reconfigure the military and the country such that it is something worth fighting for again
3: darren once again how do people get to you on social media how do they get to revolver this piece also the piece you've got on the uh the, the russian example you used of sweden and russian how russia thinks historically about these things is another must read how do they get uh, and uh, obviously your coverage of brazil how do folks get there
6: revolver.news i know it's hard to stomach but if you care about the country you need to learn what's happening to it and this is at core of our rot and dysfunction. Revolver.News, you can read about the scumbag general and share it with people you know, especially military people. That's a Revolver.News. I'm on Twitter as always, at Darren J. Beattie, and Revolver is running hot, and get her at Revolver News.
3: By the way, I want to thank or I want to uh, give a shout out of appreciation to Madeline Peltz, our marketing director over at Media Matters. She's already got clips up of <laughs> Tierman's hit and Beatty's hit. No, she's fabulous. By the way, Madeline, I, my, here's and this is what leadership is about. And I'm saying this all seriousness. Some of the junior people or some of the other people d- don't quite get the real messaging of War Room. Madeline Peltz gets it to the marrow of her bones. And I think she's had to step in here. She's now taking the lead they've they've they fobbed it off to some junior people but Madeline's back <laughs> on the case she's head of marketing over at Media. go to her twitter feed we love Madeline. we had prayer groups Madeline was ill for a while and had to be uh off uh you know took some time off she's actually a terrific person we love her uh because she gets war room at a very deep level so it's up on twitter right now Madeline peltz we'll be putting it up on getter i want to thank you it's always sure nice she's to have be some- up it, but- I'm, sh- I'm sure she's going to have a few observations about about your about uh, the great uh, the monument that was built. And by the way, Ezekiel is—I uh, actually helped to make a, a film about the Battle of New Market, and he's an extraordinary figure that should be better known yeah. in uh, in American history. Just an incredible, incredible artist of of, of incredible, powerful, creative artist, just an, an amazing. So thank you for all this, Darren. And we'll, we'll get everybody—we'll get it up on Getter. Make sure everybody reads the article. So thank you. Uh, Cortez, uh, before I start with markets, we started off with Morning Joe today. As you saw, The Economist came out uh, over the weekend and basically channeled Steve Cortez. They said that the swing, new swing voters are actually, wait for it, non-college graduate Hispanic males and their wives. Right. right. And uh, it, it's a very powerful piece. There's other ABC polling. Of course, Morning Joe puts up this thing oh, on, a, on, a, on the fight for democracy, on all the key issues, MAGA and maga republicans overwhelm a democrats in this tectonic plate right. shift give me your assessment of oh, morning joe and they trying to, they're try, they're trying to obfuscate this as much as possible in the lead up to this blowout right. on 8 november sir
7: Well, look, they are pulling their hair out and they should be because uh, while they are evil and they are wrong on all of the policies, they're not dumb and they can see what is happening here. They see this absolutely secular shift of Hispanics who are rallying to the America First Movement, to the combination of cultural conservatism and economic populist nationalism. That is absolutely the winning formula for a lot of working class Americans, many of them of Hispanic heritage. So the bad hombres and the proud Latinas, Continue to rally our way. In addition to that, Steve, and I'm actually writing an article that we'll post shortly on this. It's not just at the voter level. It's also at the candidate level. We have a whole crop of new Hispanic, many of them young, many of them first time running for political office, novices, outsiders, uh, proud Latinas, proud Latino men who are running for office this time. Uh, and this is the next wave. This, the, you know, this is the progression of a movement. It started in many ways with the Tea Party, but as far as elected office, it really got started with Donald Trump in a massive way as, as the beachhead landing. Now are the incoming troops, many of whom happen to be Hispanic Americans who have been uh, politically orphaned by the Democratic Party and rallied to this muscular vision of nationalism, of law and order in our streets, of law and order at our border. Uh, it is a winning formula politically. And I believe firmly, Steve, and I, I've said this before and I really mean it, Hispanics are going to save America, okay? this is All of us together have to save America, but the the crucial demographic shift that is going to matter the most, that will be most consequential both in this election in five weeks, but also in election cycles to come for coming decades, in my view, is going to be the permanent shift of Hispanics to the political right. So it's hard to overstate just how consequential and important this is, and even people like Joe and Mika seem to get it.
3: You know, the Hispanic uh, black, particularly black men and in, uh, in Asian Americans, this tectonic plate shift, this is the realignment we've worked for. for it's like 1932, and I think you're going to see it. Real quickly, you're, you're going to um, actually speak at the Hispanic Leadership Conference, I think, is it tomorrow Correct. or Thursday? Correct. And it's tomorrow speak?
7: and Wednesday. So I'll be going down there tomorrow. And most of the programming is on Wednesday. I will be speaking that morning on the changing Hispanic landscape. And it will culminate with a keynote address from none other than President Trump, who will be in Miami with a few hundred key Hispanic conservative leaders from across America. So very much looking forward to this terrific gathering and, and certainly looking forward. Yeah to seeing and speaking with President Trump. It's gonna be uh, a fantastic event, a galvanizing event, uh, and, it, and it's, it's well-timed right in front of these elections.
3: No, this is gonna be huge. We're gonna do wall-to-wall coverage of this on Wednesday with our own Steve Cortez. Steve, uh, we're also gonna have John Gibbs up here in a little while. Gibbs is fighting the good fight out there in Western Michigan. Walk me through those. Give us an update on, uh, on some capital markets news and economy. Sure.
7: Well, uh, look, the unfortunate reality is that the terrible economic news continues to pour out. You know, last week we finished the third quarter, and it was a miserable third quarter. As a matter of fact, we had three quarters in a row of the stock market being lower, something that this country had not seen since the great credit crisis in 2008 and 2009. But even worse than that news, and that's bad enough news, Steve, but even worse than that is the fact that the bond market also went down three quarters in a row. A concurrent fall, stocks and bonds, Three months in a row has never happened before literally unprecedented steve and that's why you know we continue to talk about the volatility out there in the the world political volatility volatility unfortunately on main street as far as small businesses volatility in financial markets this volatility is a created crisis it's created by joe biden because of his attack on american energy because of his exorbitant borrowing and spending and then thirdly because of his unneeded uh, escalation of what should be a regional struggle in the black sea All of these factors, there's a confluence of factors here together, have created an economic storm that has been incredibly difficult for regular Americans to navigate, and even for the most sophisticated folks out there. Uh, And that's one reason why we keep seeing companies massively miss their earnings expectations, massively miss their expense allocations. We have one such new company news out today, and this is terrible news, but I suspect it's the tip of the iceberg. There's going to be a lot more of this out. If we can show uh, chart number one, Stanley, Black & Decker, which is a company that we've mentioned before. And again, I'm not trying to pick on this company, but that is a one-year chart going back of Stanley, Black & Decker, the toolmaker. Uh, it has been decimated, more than cut in half off of the highs of, of a year ago, last November. And there was still a lot of uh, momentum from the Trump boom 2.0 that Joe Biden had inherited before he squandered all of it. Well, the terrible news today that was released over the weekend on Stanley Black and Decker is that they are laying off a thousand people. One thousand Americans are losing their job because of the the problems that they face and the problems that industry faces in terms of construction. Here was the Wall Street Journal reporting on Stanley Black and Decker. They are, quote, seeking to cut 200 million dollars in expenses as it deals with higher costs. And slowing demand. And Steve, unfortunately, that phrase right there encapsulates all of it. Higher costs and slower demand. Stanley Black and Decker Remember- is taking it from both sides. Regular Americans are taking it from both yeah. sides. This higher this costs what we warned
3: about. slowing yeah. demand. This this is what we warned about and, and kept talking about all this happy talk of the jobs occurring, creating, which is really just coming with the pandemic. That with this the the numbers and the real earnings numbers are putting forward the collapse of 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 demand. The two when they say two hundred million in expenses, they mean essentially two hundred million in wages, right? There's some there's right. some right. raw material costs in there, but hey, that's where the the thousand layoffs, and that's just the first. Real quickly before we go to break, and Cortez is going to stick with us. Um, stocks three quarters in a row haven't seen since two thousand eight. Bonds three quarters in a row haven't seen that ever. You do the combo platter, haven't seen another ever. And now we announce today the fall in housing prices, right? The market's right. locked up because people don't want to – they're pulling houses off the market or guys are not closing on deals because they, they think with these interest rates, housing prices are going to drop dramatically. So now you've got the third leg of the stool, your stocks, your bonds, and your house, right? The, the ability to invest in, in, uh, in anything but raw land, as we talk about, right. is all coming to a crash in the Biden regime's America. Short commercial break. Cortez back. More economic news also. A great fighter, a mighty warrior, John Gibbs, is gonna join us in a moment from Michigan.
1: has arrived. the, the all Hong Kong. We will fight till all We rejoice when no more. Let's take down
6: the CCP. has arrived. The new social media taking on big tech. Protecting free speech and canceling cancel culture. Join the marketplace of ideas. The platform for independent thought has arrived. Superior technology. No more selling your personal data. No more censorship. No more cancel culture. Enough. Getter has arrived. It's time to say what you want the way you want. Download
5: now. I told my mom we were making a commercial and she insisted on joining.
6: My son is too humble. John is a hard worker, first in the family to attend college, Stanford and Harvard. That's true. A successful businessman, but most importantly, he's an honest man. I know my son will finally bring common sense to Washington.
5: Sorry, Mom. I've got to do this part. I'm John Gibbs, and I approve this message.
6: (laughs) Me too.
3: Okay, I want to go to Cortez first because you know this candidate probably as well as anybody. His mom's right, too humble. Is, is <sighs> Gibbs, you know, our movement has evangelicals, traditional Catholics. It's, a, right. it's got a strong religious underpinning of the, 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 to save the Judeo-Christian West, the civilization that's been bequeathed to us from Athens and Jerusalem and Rome. Is John Gibbs too humble? And quite frankly, Cortez, that I love that ad. But is that, Ed, just too nice? Is he too nice a guy to win against these demons that we're running against, sir?
7: Uh, He is not too nice to win. Listen, he's a principled fighter, but he is a fighter, absolutely. Um, and, And he will take to heart and put into practice the biblical exhortation to be as gentle as does, but as cunning as serpents. And when it comes to this fight, he realizes that we are in a fight for America. John Gibbs knows what time it is in America. This is not the 1980s when we're arguing with your parents or grandparents' Democratic Party over sort of the minutia of the tax code. No, these are existential questions about worldview. Uh, and they are trying to steal our country away from us. They are trying to steal it into a leftist oligarchy. And we are not going to allow that. And John Gibbs absolutely has both the the intellectual capacity to engage in this fight, but then also the spirit to engage in this fight. Uh, He's shown that in the primary, by the way. And, And I would give you as evidence of that, as evidence of my assessment of John Gibbs. It is not easy to beat any incumbent anywhere. He beat an incumbent who happens to be from the most prominent family of West Michigan, okay? Only a fighter is able to do that, is able to beat an incumbent who has nearly 100% name ID and an endless amount of money. John Gibbs proved in the primary exactly what kind of an upstart, outsider fighter he is. He's going to prove it again in the general election.
3: Uh, By the way, a billionaire son, as Steve alluded to, a billionaire son, it was extraordinary. The primary, talk to us about the general John Gibbs. Uh, Are you... um, are you prepared? Are you taking on this demon that you're running against? And she is a demon.
5: Uh, Steve, thanks for having me on as always. And yes, we are taking her on. We're taking the bull by the horns. We're simply telling who she really is. She's trying to portray herself as a moderate, which is absolutely false. Every single position she holds is an extreme position that is going to get people killed, whether it's defund the police, whether it's fighting for dangerous folks who have been ordered to be deported from our country. She's fighting for them to stay here. Um, whether it's position on her position on pro-abortion, um, every single thing you look at, her positions are going to get people killed. So uh, we are well aware of the seriousness of that, and we are getting the word out aggressively, and it is working. I think our numbers look very good. We're going to keep working so hard every day, meeting as many people as possible, getting the word out as much as possible. Uh, so, yes, I do believe that I'm uh, mean enough, if I may say so myself. Uh, <laughs> there's a great quote uh, I saw when watching a, a movie, and it said, Beware the fury of the patient man. And I like that quote a lot. I think this is a short-term, medium-term, and long-term fight. I do know how to roar when necessary. I say I never swore before I went to D.C. Um, uh, but I also know how to fight the right way, to fight with intensity in a smart way that is going to cause us to win.
3: No, I think your live Christianity is such an example to people. Uh, but here's what I, I find interesting. They don't come after you on policy. They kind of go back to what you think of the suffrage. Ads. I mean, it's kind of bizarre. But how dumb right. do they think people in Western Michigan, which is the backbone of this country, th- th- what she's selling, she, she won't really embrace any of the ideas or policies she represents. She's trying to run as a totally different person. Do they actually believe television commercials are going to fool the hardworking people out in Western Michigan, sir?
5: They believe they'll be able to fool enough to win, which is not true. Uh, they do believe that we are stupid. Uh, they believe that the average American between the coast is dumb. Um, and that's going to backfire on them. People are smart enough to look things up, to go check on things, and they're going to find out what she's really all about. Um, they're going to see through the fact that she's trying to portray herself as a moderate. Uh, she made a commercial with a Bible in it, which I think people will find quite hilarious given her beliefs. Uh, and uh, people are going to see through it, so it's not going to work. And the commercial I did with my mom in it, we think, is very effective because the media, both during the primary as well as now, has tried to portray me as some kind of. Far extremist monster. So it is very good for us. It's very effective for people to see a different side of me and to see some of my family on there. That's going to help with my image with a lot of voters out there. So I do think it's going to do this job. But um, yeah, people are going to see through what she's all about. People are astute. Um, they know what they're looking at. So um, we're going to keep getting the message out there to tell who she really is.
3: No, I think I'd love the commercial. I love the spot. Um... The uh, last thing, how do people I, we need people to find out more about this campaign? Where do they go to find out how they volunteer? Where do they go to find out where you're going to be, if particularly in Western Michigan, to come out and actually meet you in person? Because once people meet you, uh, they're going to be on the Gibbs team. And then how if they are so inclined to donate, where do they go to do that?
5: Folks can go to votejohngibbs.com. That's to votejohngibbs.com. Uh, you can sign up to volunteer. You can sign up for our prayer list. You can sign up to knock doors, make phone calls. And most importantly, you can also sign up to uh...
3: War Room Posse. You already know free speech is under constant attack by The Swamp and their big tech allies. They resell your communications and personal data while lecturing and laughing at you. I've got the solution. Unplug Systems, a secure communications company, has an app suite you can install on any Android phone, including its own uncancellable app store, VPN, antivirus, and highly encrypted messenger better than Wicker, Signal, Telegram, or anything else. None of your message or VPN traffic is stored, analyzed, or sold. Claim your security for only $10 a month. Go to their website, Unplugged.com. That's Unplugged.com slash War Room to install the Unplugged suite. It's secure. It's private. It's the way we stay connected and informed. Get it now. Take action, action, action. Use your agency.
2: They put Peter Navarro in leg irons for simply doing his constitutional duty. Now they want to put Peter in prison for standing up for Donald Trump. Please go to Amazon right now and order Taking Back Trump's America to help fund Peter's legal defense. Taking Back Trump's America provides a critical MAGA blueprint to put Trump back in the White House in 2024. Buy Taking Back Trump's America on Amazon today. If they can put Peter Navarro in prison, they can come for all of us.
3: That's code War Room at checkout to save sixty seven percent and do it again. War Room Health, all one word, warroomhealth.com. Go there today. You need if you're going to be part of the posse, you need a strong heart, you need a lion's heart. How we're going to do that is with Salty. Go there, do it today, check it out.